welcome to the Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about metas and what makes them fun. Before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we like to talk about games, okay? Uh, and since this is my topic, I'll introduce it um, because I think it's an interesting time, right? So right at the start of the month, we kind of had this convergence of a bunch of different things happening right number one diablo 4 came out we did a whole podcast on that right um it's been a lot of what i've been playing i'm level 75 now um trying to get to level 100 my, my goal is to get to level 100 before the end of the season or not the end of the season the start of the season which is in mid-july somewhere um street fighter 6 also comes out right um mango's been doing a million sets uh and everything like that and the third piece of news that really made this solidify in my brain is a new game mode for hearthstone that got announced last week that is called twist um twist is a new ranked ladder queue right um but one that's kind of halfway between like the traditional standard and wild and also weirdly tavern brawl basically the rule is every um they call it every season which we think is every month but it could technically be every four months it might be like until the end of um uh it could be every four months until the end of uh like a new patch a new expansion cycle um there is a twist format and the twist format is new and includes rules that have never you know before been seen in hearthstone so the current version of twist that is going to be live when the game mode does go live uh, i think later this week maybe i think it goes live tomorrow um is Every set from 2020, so, you know, year of the, it's like year of the Phoenix, year of the Griffin, year of the Kraken, I don't know, I think we're in year of the Wolf, right? But, and the core set, but no neutral cards, right? So everything has to be a class card. Everything mm. you put in your deck has to be a class card, which is obviously a format that we've we've never seen that before, right? What is that, what is that going to mean, right? And on top of all of these, I just had this like brewing thought of like, when is it fun to participate in the meta versus when is it fun to buck the meta, right? Um, and the reason that this has been in stark relief is because specifically for uh, Diablo, I've had a lot of conversations with friends, right, about whether or not, like, whether or not it's more fun to play the meta versus not play the meta, right? To me, playing the meta in Diablo sounds terrible because the meta in Diablo is you play a barbarian, you roll all of your shouts one after another and then you just start whirlwinding and you just hold the whirlwind button for as long as you can sustain it and then when it drops you do that process all over again right um which to me sounds boring as fuck it's no it's like just spinning just that's it that's like that's that's the, how i'm gonna play the game that sounds terrible right but to a lot of other folks that's what makes barbarian fun right you know using using all these abilities kind of in tandem you'll see that a lot of kind of quote-unquote meta diablo builds are really built around just spamming one thing and making that thing as good as possible it seems like at least from my from my experience um you know i was looking at necromancer builds and uh, and the idea to make like the best necromancer build is Either you go the, I call it the poop build because it looks like poop, where you corpse explosion and put, um, 
like a like black goo on the ground and that goo just deals damage but the damage can stack so you just generate a million corpses detonate all of them and then just sit to stand there right that's it you just press one and you detonate corpses and you stand in the corpses um or you is a bone spear build where you just like power up your bone spear and you just shoot bone spear over and over and over again seems like a lot of diablo builds are built around Use this one thing, make this one thing as good as possible. Everything else is just about building up enough stuff to do your one, uh, to do your one thing. Um, and in the face of that, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that, right? My my build is complicated. There's like a whole rotation. I'm you know juggling uptime on these buffs or whatever. And that's really engaging, right? But I probably am worse than someone who's just doing like a, you know, a whirlwind spam build or something like that. Um, but then in other situations, like in Hearthstone. I've talked in the past about how I really enjoy the intricacies of playing inside of the meta, right? When I was doing my Climb to Legend with Enrage Warrior last month, that was really fun because Enrage, War Enrage Warrior was a meta deck, right? Um... It wasn't like I was bucking the meta. In fact, I was sort of the van. I was part of a vanguard. And Rage Warrior is not the best deck in the game. Uh, it's sort of not true. The best deck at High Legend, if you are a good player, and most people are not playing the deck just degenerates like me. Um, and so what is the difference between wanting to participate in the meta versus wanting to, you know, reject reject the meta? That's my introductory thesis. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and there, this, this, this has a lot of angles to it, right? Because, like, you've laid out Diablo. Diablo has this aspect where it's all, basically all PvE. In fact, there's a separate PvP meta, as I understand it. I have not been playing as much Diablo before, but Friend of the Cast Monic, Let's me know that reliably one of the most unbeatable builds in PvP is Thorns Barbarian, um, but that like obviously does not uh, you know have anything to do with the, the the PvE meta. And so there's different considerations there. Um, there's also like this weird thing where like essentially it's a long-term character, right? So like because like you know we talk about World of Warcraft a lot on this podcast, right? There are meta talent builds for classes, but like it almost doesn't get discussed that way. Right, like it kind of gets discussed as like what are the optimal choices, which is which is meta, but it doesn't get called the meta, right? It gets called something else, and I think there's something there on top of like, um, and like you know, like like you said with Hearthstone, there's like different formulations within the same archetype that tend to be meta. We played a lot of League of Legends for a while that had metas that resolved around certain types of characters, but like let you pick different characters, like you know, like the tank meta meant you picked uh, one of a handful of tanky characters, but there was still uh, choice inside of there. Um, and then, you know, like you said, Street Fighter comes out. Um, Street Fighter has a slowly evolving meta. Um, last night, Blanca won CEO, and so people are starting to pick him up. Um, but that's, wow. you know, it's still early game, right? So, like, that might just be a thing. Um, and so I think there's a handful of things that go into this, right? right? Some of it is just kind of, like, raw, like, preference slash fun to play, right? If Whirlwind Barb was your favorite thing to do, buddy, like, you'd probably play it, but, like, that, like... But that's outside of meta considerations, right? There's some people who are going to be attracted to meta considerations. And, like, like it wouldn't surprise me if Whirlwind Barb is the meta right now, not solely because it's the most effective build, but just because it's also an archetype that everybody loves going back to, like, Diablo 2, right? Like, yeah, people like playing that's Whirlwind that's very Barb. True. So that archetype probably got um, optimized uh, early. Um, and then on there, – I had another point in, in this kind of vein, right? Like um, – uh, there's also like a matter of how much success matters. And this is gonna sound weird, but like in a game like Diablo, right? 
if you were playing less than optimally because it's mostly PvE game, it's not a huge deal, right? Like, it is much more... Um, and also, this is going to sound weird, but, like, Diablo's kind of a low-skill game, right? Like, it, there's not as much execution. Like, you know, Rogue is pretty execution-heavy. Most stuff is not, especially most of the meta builds are not execution-heavy. And, I, again, I might suspect that um, uh, some of the, uh, the, the meta stuff in... Um, in, in Diablo is based around it, things not being as execution heavy, which is weird for meta, but I think that that might be true. Um, whereas, like, in uh, something like Hearthstone, it's basically all execution. And in, um, and in something like uh, something like Street Fighter, execution is, like, absolutely the most important, right? Like your, ex like, your ability to execute is more important than, like, actual meta kind of uh, considerations. Um, yeah, that is probably an interest because like th there's another piece of this, for instance, the wow thing is really interesting to me because on one hand, I feel like I buck the wow meta, right? Because I'm playing a, a class that I, I want, right? Um, and I, you know, very famously played a, uh, a version of Arms Warrior that made me the best in the world at that version just because it was literally the bottom of the meta and I was the only one willing to play it in the high end version of the game that I was that I was participating in, right? Um, but on the other hand, I don't participate, or I do participate in the meta because I build my warrior basically the way that the best players in the world build their warriors, right? There are some pieces where I don't, and I would probably hold on to that. Like, there's a part of me that wants to say, oh, I have, like, bucked the meta because I choose a handful of different talents to kind of make my build a specific kind of damage that's a little bit different from other people, even though 95% of the talents I take are the same as everybody else, my rotation's the same as everybody else, I'm, I'm using the same power talents, I'm just kind of tweaking things a little bit because I want a little more single target damage and cleave damage rather than AoE, right? Um, and I would say that's probably a, a representation of me being sort of wrong about the meta, right? That I am, uh, that I am in fact a participator in in kind of like the wow meta and that's just i don't know there, there it's an interesting uh dichotomy i guess between those two sorts of experiences yeah no and, and i, I want to address a couple of things that lou brings up in the chat um first on diablo having only six buttons makes rotations of variety a bit harder i was gonna going to have to pick up a few skills that support and power up one or two cortex i think it's actually true like i think diablo wants you to have one generator, one spender, and then four once in a while things, right? That have that you pick mostly for their ancillary attack, ancillary um, benefits, or like for like big, like you know, like in barbarian, this would be like fail strike, right? Like something that just like is a damage bomb that you're not hitting all the time. Um, on Street Fighter, uh, Lou says, uh, is Blank using more than one move yet? I will tell you, I believe the the guy's name is Menard. He was used like people don't know how to deal with balls quite yet. Um, but that is pretty the strong Blanca balls, which is like it's one of his classic moves. Um, but uh, there was some high level play at CEO. I, I, it was a, the the finals was a was a Blanca versus Jury, um, and the Blanca was pretty dominant. I recommend going to watch it if you if you're curious. Um, uh, and then I'm back on Diablo. Lou says my fight against Butcher made me question my abilities hard. No skill into sun skilled needed is no fair. Yeah, I think Butcher's a little bit like. Have you like the the Butcher was like a weird encounter for me. Too. like it felt like it required a lot more out of you than anything else did but uh you know that's that's, that's the weird thing it, i find about diablo is like it, it feels much more like raw numbers checks 
than than anything else. But back to your well, po- so there's some stuff that I do think is mechanic. I the butcher a butcher I do think is an exception, right? I think I can outplay a lot of things, and I think I'm dealing with mechanics appropriately um, by you know moving around or whatever. But butcher has this issue where he's just wailing on he's just wailing on you. And, like, either you beat the damage check or you don't. And I think that is unique to Butcher, right? Um, I feel like if you don't have a solid build, you will you will get destroyed by Butcher by just the numbers. Versus if you don't have a solid build, you'll get destroyed by bosses because you get overwhelmed over time. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that, that, that makes some amount of sense. Like, like that was my biggest problem with... Uh, Duriel, I think when I when I fought him was is that like there was a point like late in like in his third phase as a melee character it's hard to dodge his attacks because he stops like doing the things where he stands still doesn't attack you for a couple seconds and so you yep. have to like be able to like tank a, s- a certain amount of hits in order to even do damage and that's that that always feels weird um and also like Diablo doesn't feel like a game like this, this is a thing that's um also maybe the like the an interesting comparison point to wow right like up until Basically, this game, resetting your build in Diablo um, was not as much of a thing, but it feels like maybe the game wants you to tailor your builds a little bit more to specific encounters. Yeah, um, that, that I think is interesting, um, the, the tailoring your build, because there's some stuff that just literally doesn't like ma- like matter, or that matters in esoteric ways, I guess, um, which is interesting. Yeah, but like my, my point being, right, like... It, I'm fighting Duriel. I might want to swap out, like you know, um, it's you know, like whirlwind for something like, um, not hammer of the ancients, upheaval, because I can get a little bit more distance on that and not have to worry about eating eating a hit. Or like I might want to switch to my double-handed weapons because I can get the attacks and dodge out faster. Um, that so I was playing. I was basically getting carried with by friend of the cast, Monic. Um, I was like level 50, he was level 70. He's like, let's do Torment 4. I'm like, what? And basically me standing there and trying not to die. Um, but part of that was that like when I was using my two-handed weapons, the swings were so slow that I couldn't get out of the way in time. And at that, you know, I'm so fragile at, at that stage. So like I can switch those things around and maybe switching weapons isn't the uh, isn't the worst thing. Um, but uh, other, you know, the other half of that is, is maybe a little bit, uh, like, like switching points is, I think feels a little bit worse if that makes sense. Yeah. The interesting thing I think is the disparity between bosses and packs, right? Um, in Diablo, the, I am really strong at dealing with packs, but I'm not super strong at dealing with bosses. And because part of this is that one of the stats I value very highly is damage versus slowed, right? Um, because I'm using the two-handed sword, right? I'm putting bleeds on everything. And then I have the thing that says stuff that you have a bleed on is slowed. So, and then also I have the thing where, you know, I have a bunch of thorns. When stuff takes thorns damage from me, it gets a, it gets a short bleed. So... I'm basically always slowing everything around me at all times, and damage versus slowed is a really powerful stat for that reason, right? Whereas if I was playing like a lightning sorcerer, right, damage versus slowed would be a terrible stat. It wouldn't do anything. But on a boss, that stat doesn't mean doesn't mean anything because bosses can't be CC'd, right? Um, same thing with damage versus stunned. A big thing for me is being able to, you know, foot stomp, and then 
Uh, right now I'm using upheaval. So like foot stomp upheaval is a really powerful combo of mine because that stuns everything and then I get a huge bonus versus stunned or whatever. But again, versus bosses, you don't stun bosses that often. You have to build up that stagger bar and you only have this kind of like short window to take advantage of it. Whereas mostly what I'm actually trying to do is kind of like take advantage of it at all times, right? Um, and I think that that's a pretty interesting sort of like, are you building for bosses? Are you building for packs? How is that? How is that? going to work yeah um yeah no that that's that's absolutely true but this talks this is talking more about kind of like individual game mechanics i think i think we want to bring it back out to like the more yeah uh, that's true the the meta stuff um so like it, it sounds to me like your objection to playing whirlwind barb is less about it being meta and more about it being just like a thing you're not a fan of yeah, and I also think I just want to say that my default position, I think most people's default position, is that they don't want a meta, right? They don't want, like, bis mentality, right? Like, they don't want, um, you know, a... Um, they don't want to be dictated to how to play the game. They want to make their own choices, right? Yeah. So just on a basic level, you know, player A interacting with game one, right... Whatever that interaction is, you can already assume there's going to be a pretty heavy weight towards, I'm going to do my own thing, right? Which is part of why the question I'm asking is, what makes a meta good, right? Because I feel like if a meta is good, right? Like the Hearthstone meta right now, to be fair, I've been playing a lot of Hearthstone right this second, but... I am assured that the Hearthstone meta right now is actually really amazing. People really, really love this meta, right? In Rage Warriors, the best deck in the game, it is. I think it's the only tier one deck right now, um, but so few people are playing it that it doesn't feel like a meta, it doesn't feel like it's dominating the meta. People are actually playing worse, like, are more often playing these worse kinds of tier two decks, and when a meta is all tier two decks in Hearthstone, that's actually a really good meta, because it means that everybody has good matchups, everybody has bad matchups, uh, but fundamentally most people you know like good pilots will be able to get to legend by playing the decks that they that they like and um you know and making really strong plays out of that basically right um and the and so that question of what makes for a good meta why would a meta be good versus why a meta would be you know would be bad i think is part of what drives this discussion right because the meta is always something you need to be persuaded into, I guess is my point, uh, rather than the default. I think it's I think it's comparatively rare to have someone who starts playing a game and goes, ooh, let me, you know, instantly go look up the best way to build my character, right? I think a lot of people end up in that place. I think a lot of people who play Diablo, right, for instance, will end up going to the Diablo subreddit or to some builds website or they'll be watching YouTube content or something along those sorts of lines. But I think that they opt into that experience later down the line. Um, I don't think that anybody really starts from that place. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I'm not I'm, I'm not sure how much, like I definitely, like I think I agree with you for most people, but like I think there is definitely a, a type of person who is more focused on winning because that's how they get the joy out of the game and they are willing to run to the meta thing because they are more concerned with winning. Like, this is like, you know, this is used to magic psychic rams, right? Like, there's like um, Timmy, Johnny, Spike. Spike, I think, is less concerned about, is like, likes, likes having a clear meta because then he can go, like, go get a good deck, right? Like, and, you know, there's, there's like, to your point, a good meta versus like a, a bad meta isn't always just like, you know, 
Um, like Spike isn't concerned about the quality of the meta. He's concerned about the existence of the meta and his ability to go find a a tier one type deck, right? Um, in, in, yeah. in, in either case, because he's interested in winning, and that's and that's fine, right? Um, but I think you're generally correct, right? I think people enjoy. Um, um, although I don't, I don't know. I think there's also like kind of like a shaky middle ground there. Like I know that for, for me, I like bucking the meta intentionally. Like that's just like a thing that brings me specific joy is like winning through odd ways and like doing yep. things that aren't exactly like considered viable, right? Um, and that's got a lot more purchase than say Magic and a lot less purchase than something like League of Legends, right? I've done it, right? But it's generally to the chagrin of my teammates who want people to be like, not necessarily like, in lockstep with like what it's being played at worlds, but want people to be within the kind of general contours of the meta. Oh yeah. Was. This was a very frequent thing when we were playing league, because that was another meta where I wanted to be not, you know, slavish to the meta in the sense, of like only playing strong champions or whatever, but there is a, and this is maybe what I was getting at with the wow point thinking about it. There was a sort of framework meta as well. That was a piece of this, right? Which was, Oh, you put a mage mid lane and you have sort of this mage do this. You have characters who are synergistic with one another on a team comp, right? Um, you have, uh, you know, you have champions in the jungle who are going to be able to move to the different lanes and gank for you, right? It, be able to relieve pressure and help you kind of get back into things when, when that, like, these are all pieces of the League of Legends meta that aren't just this champion is overtuned, that champion is undertuned, right? They're, they're kind of fundamentals to the, the team, teamwork of the game. I would say that meta is something I was slavishly devoted to because... It, it is, it's sort of like playing a game of baseball and saying, oh, well, for this game, we're not going to have any outfielders. We're just going to play nine infielders. And it's like, that's fucking bonkers. I hate this. Just do your yeah, job. Like you know the, what I mean? The, the meta meta, essentially, right? Yeah, I, yeah. But, but there are several layers to this, right? Like in the chat, Lou says AP sign and 80 miles when you want to die every time. Like those are specific character metas, right, that are like off limits. But like to your point, right, like there were times we were playing where certain like – classes of uh certain classes of, of characters were, were, were generally more meta and like that was like a little bit more medium term right like when we were playing in the tank meta that favored putting a tanky person top lane that didn't necessarily mean like you had to do it every time um and people would be like i'd say like you get some pushback if you're playing an off like off mid-level meta versus an off you know you know what uh, uh an off base level meta right like if you chose nasus when darius was the was the biggest you know the most meta champion people wouldn't complain if you played would be an example of like a non-tanky top laner like a teemo maybe right play teemo mm -hmm. people might give you a little bit more uh pushback if you know you said we're going to a top lane then people start to push back more because that like you said that that, that breaks kind of like the fundamental meta right um uh because that's like you know that, that that breaks kind of like the, the the more solid meta, and so I guess I guess that's maybe a a, a place to look at. Like, I mean, I, I think part of it, part of what makes a good meta, is you have to have enough flexibility that like you have options. Um, because I I think part of this is is like it's a fool's errand to try and completely eliminate a meta, right? The only way mm. you get a, com a completely balanced game is to make the game incredibly boring. Um, right, like you basically make your choices kind of non-existent. That, or you have to have like a very small decision space, right? Like I would actually say that there are a lot of games that don't have metas, 
Um, but that is because they are um, like. So I'm thinking of Rain World, right? Rain World doesn't really have a meta, but like the mechanics aren't built around that kind of level. Like in Rain World, just surviving is kind of the challenge, and there's not enough expression for for you to have different. There, like there's no ability tree, there's no skill points. You have to use everything in your kit all the time in order to barely not die in a game like that, right? Um, similarly, Super Mario doesn't have a meta. There's no meta to to Super Mario Brothers for the NES. You know, every every version of Mario is 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 quote unquote built the exact same and generally speaking probably takes like the the same kind of like route to get to the flag it's only when you would maybe impede or like impose other other aspects on top of it right for instance there would be a speed run meta for super mario brothers but i don't think that you know um there would be a there would be i guess uh, a meta to to a game like that does that does that make sense does that track yeah i think it, i think it mostly does i think i think um i mean i think i think the mario example is trivial again i think you're mostly right about that just because there's not a, there's not really a way to change right like I, I yeah i guess that's probably what defines a meta right you have to have the presence of alternate strategies where someone makes a makes a conscious choice to do one over the other for that like strategic yeah, and, and they can't be like obviously like directly superior right like like I could describe to you a meta of Super Mario Bros., which is like pick up power ups, right? Like, um, but like there's like rarely, or and like you know, I bet you I could make you make a case for like say Super Mario Brothers three, right? Like which is more powerful, the Fire Flower or the oh. Raccoon Tail, right? Yeah, something like that. But like those are like like such minor decisions, right? Like it's also like a solved game, right? Like it's not like you have to like adapt at any point in time, right? So you can kind of figure these things out. Um, but like yes, yeah. Like like similarly in Rain World, you can hold up to two items, one spear and one of something else. And there's a bunch of different items in the game. You could maybe say, oh, it's a rock meta because you always want a spear in one hand and a rock in the other. Versus, oh, it's a it's a berry meta because you want a spear in one hand and a berry in the. And it's like no, that like that's it's like unreal, right? Um, compared to something like like Diablo that is much more, you know. Straightforward. So, so Lou in the chat brings up Mario 2, which is like an interesting point, right? Because uh, have you played Super Mario Brothers 2, the American version? I do not, but I do know of that because Super Mario Brothers 2 is famously right. Like the 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 story behind that is Buck Wild, where they took this completely other game and they sort of retrofitted Mario onto it from uh, from Japan. So th it's the part it's you know he's like throwing fruit yeah, and yeah. shit, right? It's yeah. because they thought that Super Mario Brothers two, like the real one, was too hard for American audiences. Um, yep. But like the, the point there is like you pick one of four characters and the characters all have different kind of like slightly different properties. And um, Lou says different characters, different level types is a thing. And that's kind of true. But like it's also like every level is beatable by every character. Right. So like, yes, I, I will agree with you. Agree with you, Lou, that there is a pick a certain like there are ones that will make it easier. But like that's also like a much more mind like, you know, you don't need to go to. The internet, because like I, I think I think this is part of it too. It's like you need to have some sort of like scaling, topless kind of thing to act towards, right? Like a slow, like a yeah. faster time, or like a uh, you know a higher rift level or whatever. Yeah, because here's another one: Assassin's Creed. 
I was trying to think. I was trying to think. I was like, is it just RPG mechanics? Because everything is RPG mechanics now, right? Whereas yeah. in the past they didn't, right? So one of the things about Rain World, there's no there's no RPG mechanics. There's no level up. There's no experience points. You know, you never make a like a skill tree. And I was thinking, and I was like, maybe that's a piece of it, right? Because the way you build your character. But in but there's no such thing as a meta for an Assassin's Creed game, right? Because that game is entirely insulated to your like representative single player experience or you know any of any of these other yeah, kinds of I'm, like I'm single sure player open world games i'm sure there's a weaker meta right like i'm sure you can like go to like spiffing brit right or some other like you know youtuber who builds their their content around like absolutely breaking a game and like you mm. know that is like a meta style thing right like you you're picking abilities that like work together really well in a way that like trivializes some of the some of some of the game but like it's not thought about in those terms Right, yeah, so also, I would say at higher difficulties, you probably encounter a meta. For instance, in Dragon Age 2, mm. right, the first time I played Dragon Age 2, I just did whatever I want. But when I got to the higher-end difficulties, I can't even remember the top one is called, like, Brutal or something like that, you do sort of need to have particular builds for your characters because if you're not using their they had a whole system for certain enemies apply a, like a debuff and then other enemies activate the debuff so the the one that i remember was one of your guys could freeze someone and then the, the, your mages could freeze someone and then your warriors could do a slam that did 400 percent damage if you broke the the freeze condition i think it's called brittle the brittle condition right so um so the whole meta for doing like the hardest version of that game revolved around this level of gameplay. You had to do it because if you didn't, that was like you were you were you you wouldn't be able to to like complete the experience. So that is actually kind of interesting. I, yeah. I I've never thought about like creating a meta before. No, no, but see, see that, that's an interesting point, right? Because like people like. I think if you ask somebody whether that, that Dragon Age meta was good or bad, you get a variety of answers because some people enjoy the aspect of that. It's basically it's solving a, an optimization puzzle, right? Like some people enjoy that. Some people are like, I hate that. I want to be able to build a, a character in the way I want to play, right? And there's th that second one is always kind of a sliding scale, right? Because you can't always yep. – like you need some level of optimization. Otherwise, like you can't have any skill synergies essentially, right? And that's all – that's unsatisfying in, on, a, on a different vector. But like that's why it doesn't get – talked at like you know the quality of that as a meta doesn't really get talked about versus something like league or hearthstone where essentially i think the values there are like options that you can pick from that are all like you know moderately fun like i, I bet you that one's a little bit more of a, a sliding like you know like how fun is it how fun is it to play versus how brain dead right like i remember early in hearthstone it's like faces the place right like the meta that favored like just going face that was like a completely brain dead deck but like some people enjoyed playing it. I don't know how, how you know, people would consider that good or bad. Um, if it was an option, <laughs> I think people would think it was it was fine. But, like, an option where, where, like, I think an option where, like, a complicated deck dominates is more acceptable to people than one where a brain-dead deck dominates. Does that make sense? Yeah, there that is true. So there are a couple pieces of this. One, uh, for instance, when a control deck is the best deck in the game, those are brutal metas that people hate. Um, and it's very common actually to to hear that in like in Hearthstone circles. Everybody wants a control meta in the sense that they, they they want a slow meta where where you know you're hitting turn ten, people are kind of building around a certain kind of value options or whatever. But the reality is, 
a true control meta really sucks. What you really want is you want a powerful, aggressive top end to your meta. You want the best deck in the game to be some form of aggressive deck, typically, um, or just some form of tempo deck. Aggressive kind of has different connotations. Um, uh, but you want to have a lot of, like, really viable control counters to that, right? So if the bet let's say the best deck in the game is Face Hunter, right? That's actually typically pretty good because when the best deck in the game is an aggressive deck, it makes it so uh you have you have a pretty clear counter program where people build control decks and control decks are winning because they're farming face hunter right even if they're losing to one another or they're losing to mid-range decks or all these other kinds of things that tends to be that tends to be pretty fun when the best deck in the game is a control deck though all you do is you make every game last 45 minutes and everybody fucking hates it they want to pull their hair out yeah i mean but that's that's interesting because that's like i mean so like People hate that meta not because in something inherent to like the meta-ness of it. It's because of the ancillary concerns, right? It's like the control decks take forever to win, right? Like, and also the the deck the the tech tech that beats control deck are combo decks, and combo decks are very unfun to play against if you are a control deck. It is typically really. Like, if I'm playing a control warrior and I know I'm going up against, like, let's say a combo, I don't know, I don't know, I can't even think of, like, a good combo deck like this, like a combo warlock or something like that, right? Um, that just always feels bad because you know you're on a timer, you're on a clock, and the only option you have is to somehow disrupt one of their key combo pieces, right? Um, and while I would say that's actually pretty fun, that's part of the fun that made my Quest Hunter deck really fun back in the day because uh, I was playing against a bunch of combo decks and the, the perfectly timed ice trap was just like the best thing in the world if you just got this level of disruption down or whatever. Um, but yeah, that is that is all specific to Hearthstone, but I do think it kind of speaks to kind of like the underlying mechanics of how some versions of a meta are good and some are bad. For instance, a version of things where walking arsenal barbarian, right? The the barbarian where you're swipping, switching weapons all the time, which is more or less the version that I'm playing right now, is the best version of barbarian, is one where I probably would be happier with the meta. It is that the meta is bad because the bar build is bad, um, like we were talking about before. Yeah. Um, and also, like, I know that you you don't personally like, but do you know what the the sense is of kind of like the larger world about like the the barb meta right now? Do people, do, how do people feel about it? Right, like, because like I said, I know whirlwind is historically a, a favorite, right? Like, I you know I guess I have to say that I expect people like it because when I looked into it. Every build was like this, right? And when I was talking to my friends about this, they were talking about it in that sense. Like, I was talking to one of my friends. She was like. I just want to cast Blizzard. I just want my whole build to just be constantly freezing shit and casting Blizzard and you guys blow them up. And I was like, that sounds awful. I hate that. But I, sure, I guess. Right? Yeah, I, I guess. Um, I guess. So, so this is maybe a fundamental thing about Diablo, right? Like Diablo doesn't care how you kill an enemy, right? You don't get better loot if you have a complicated build to, to kill something, right? You get the same loot yep. as someone... You know, your, you know, seven buff weapon swapping bleed build gets the same loot as the guy who just, like, holds down the right click. Is wee! Right? Like, this is, like, ruining Diablo for me, Mango. You're, like, going to make me uninstall this fucking game. God, you're so right. Am I, have I just been a fucking moron? <laughs> because like you know there, there there was a thread that actually really appealed to me i want to i want to bring up this thread because i thought it was really smart it's from 
Hamlet, who's an old WoW designer, now works at Riot. Um, uh, I don't actually know what. What are your pronouns, buddy? Fuck. Why are they not in the bio? I think she's trans. She might not be trans. She might just be non-binary, but we'll go with it. So, Hamlet says, D4 is remarkably resistant to playing by net decking or best in slot mentality or whatever you want to call it because it's both difficult and largely ineffective to play by aiming for a specific build endpoint and beelining to that. And I think that it's, it's like a hard thing to pull off. Um, and she goes on to talk about how, you know, the custom, you know, the, the web of synergistic interactions is really complicated between skills, passive talents, legendaries, paragon choices. They all affect each other and the value of almost anything is dependent on like can i fit in these other pieces to it right so a good example of that would be my my thing with slows right i value percent damage to slow a lot because percent damage to slow is triggered by all of my bleeds inflicting a slow and i have specced into all of this bleed stuff right um, but someone who hasn't kind of like built that way isn't going to be looking for the same sorts of things and that's just like one version of the interaction right it's an inter interaction that goes everywhere um so, for instance, uh, if someone has a really coherent, tightly working build and you replicate 60% of it with what you have, you probably have something silly, right? Some of the stuff that you're including is probably pointless, and some of the stuff you're leaving out might be way better for you, right? Which is to say that, like, the because those builds are so synergistic, it's actually kind of hard for me to build out of what I'm currently specced into like if i wanted to go for a bar a whirlwind build right well i mean i don't know i do think whirlwind actually does include bleed and damage to slow or right. whatever else um but like let's say i was going to go for a hammer of the ancients overpower build which i don't think is a real thing let's just say i would, I would go for it i'm probably not looking for percent damage to slow because i'm not looking for bleeds i'm looking for overpower i'm looking for fortify right which also contributes to you know um, to overpower, I'm probably looking for a, a set of stats that are completely orthogonal, right, to the set of stats that I've currently kind of, um, uh, optimized for. Uh, and then she says, item customization is very expensive. Yeah, you can imprint the 10 legendaries you want onto your 10 best items and have the perfect build, but you won't be doing it for dozens of hours. You have to disenchant multiple legendaries for every one you imprint, which this is, I also feel like is very true, right? Like, I have a lot of aspects at this point that are like good aspects but they are kind of a cherished resource typically what i'm thinking about when i'm when i'm popping up an aspect is i get a really good rare drop and i want to like upgrade the secondaries on one of my like items to another and so i'm going back and i'm finding the old aspect or i'm like ripping the old aspect to kind of like put it on and so the only and so they continue the only way to get buy is working with what you have until your items are really stable and it's almost certainly worse to rip apart and recombine all of your items to try to poorly approximate a YouTube video compared to using your best items and building good support for them, right? Um, which I think is pretty interesting. I would probably say that that's actually a really good design philosophy in a way, right? Diablo probably wants a version of things that looks like when something drops, you make an evaluating choice where you say, does this work for my build or does it not? And if the answer is yes, you you can like subsume it into what you're currently working with and tinker with your build, um, if not necessarily like rebuild entirely it's it's for instance it's pretty common for me to rebuild around certain uniques or legendaries that drop i had a, i had a unique that was using the the chains the steel grasp or whatever um 
but then I replaced that with uh, like with a legendary. Uh, and when I did that, I, I was like, okay, well, I don't need Steel Grasp in my build anymore. I can pull this out, right? And then all of a sudden, my helm, which had three ranks of Steel Grasp, I'm like, oh, I should actually probably replace that, right? And now I'm looking at my helm, and I replace my helm with something else. And now, and, and you know, and that is kind of how my builds have sort of morphed over time, right? Um, and, um, and the result of all of these kinds of, like pieces of things, right? Um, is is built on some of it is synergy, some of it is is friction, right? Um, but it ultimately kind of creates, I feel like, a game where I'm encouraged to to buck the meta and sort of take what I have and make the best of it, right? A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, sort of mentality, right? Um, which I think is neat, which I think is interesting. Do you do you feel like that is you know in keeping uh, with like a a like good game design and meta building and stuff like that or so i, I think that's a good ideal but i also think that it's it's a balancing act right because like there's also a version of this and i think that this happens to some extent at least in diablo 4 where like all of that is like nice to haves that kind of get like like the the other the flip side of that is that like you 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 are aiming towards a whirlwind build because that's what you want to build and you just kind of ignore everything else like you like let it like, some of these secondary stats, they come out in the wash, right? I don't care, right? Like, I don't care about um, my the marginal, like, secondary stat, right? Like, lightning resistance versus shadow resistance, who cares, right? Like, one rank of, like, you know, kick that I'm never going to use, whatever. You know, I'm, because, like, and some, like, because it always has to be the balancing act, because otherwise you're completely beholden to your items, right? Like you can imagine a system that maximizes the things you were just talking about. And at that point, you actually don't have any choice either. You have to just play to what, whatever your items have, right? Because like, you know, otherwise you're not going to be effective, going to be effective either, right? Like you have to build a whirlwind build because you've got the whirlwind, like whirlwind legendary. And I, and I think, I think that's like, I, I think you're right that like, that design philosophy is correct. It's just hard to nail, I think. And also, it's one of those things where, like, we've talked about this a lot in terms of WoW, where, like, yep. no matter how you design it, people are going to do whatever they fucking are going to do, right? And a lot of times that is, like, slavish devotion to whatever somebody decides, you know, whatever the the, the, the collective consciousness decides is, is the best, right? Um, yeah, there's also a thing of, like... Um you know, uh, this is a corollary in her thread where she says, the current cottage industry of game guides and videos seems notably ill-suited to dealing with a game like this. You can see YouTube videos every day saying, new, amazing, you know, class build, but all they really cash out to is, these are the last three good items I found, which to be fair, is kind of true. Like, this has been my experience, yeah. right? Whenever I've looked at a at a video, right? Like, for instance, I just watched one by Crip, uh, who's a Hearthstone guy, but, you know, he's doing stuff. He's talking about the the pure summons uh necromancer right if you want to make a summons necromancer how do you do it and the answer is you get one unique and then the unique says sometimes your summons blow up for eighteen thousand damage and it's just like okay get an item that's the like that's the build all right sure fair enough kind of thing um yeah, I mean, and I feel like you know, what what can you do about that piece of the puzzle? Yeah, I, but, that, but that's the the other part of it too. It's like you know, it makes it like like if you want to play the summons build, right? Like you have to either be sad, like you have to either grind for that item, 
or just be like whatever like you know i'm like you know, you know accept that like you're not gonna play that and i don't know like i'm saying that's necessarily bad right like i think a version of diablo where you're constantly switching up your build to match your items is fun in its own way but it also kind of like i think doesn't match a lot of players expectations um and maybe maybe that's why whirlwind's a popular build right like the let me think about it. like the pieces there are like you know ranks on whirlwind on some piece right like um actually this is probably why like one skill builds are the kind of more favored ones right because you can kind of you can kind of target a single skill right um and like you'll probably find a legendary that does something with it right there's like a half dozen legendaries that interact with whirlwind right and then you just pick your other five skills based around your items Right, and that's probably why Blizzard and Whirlwind and like these and Corpse Explosion are all popular builds because you can target that one thing and build everything else out around it. That makes sense. You know, I would actually say a different. I I think packages is really what it comes down to. So in Hearthstone, when we talk about uh, decks, we talk about packages a lot of the time, right? right? Which is to say that like this is a group of cards that you can include in your deck, but it is not necessarily the entirety of your deck. So for instance, um. I had in my Control Warrior build that I was talking about, there's the Rift Package, which is six spells and then two Naga Giants, right? Which is a total of eight cards. And I swapped out the Rift Package for the Weapons Package, right? Um, which added in four weapons, two Abyssal Basists, and, you know, just two other guys who are weapon synergy kind of, kind of cards, right? And I think that a lot of the time when I'm looking at metas... A, it really boils down to the strength of individual packages, right? Um, which is something that, funnily enough, Brian Kibler once made a video about. He made this video like four years ago. Uh, he made a video and he was talking about the one of the problems with uh, Hearthstone at, the, at that particular time was the strength of certain packages, right? And he was talking about how, like, basically every deck I ever make is has to include this package because it is the best thing and i can kind of do whatever i want with my other cards but like the, the most of the time the whims i'm going to be pulling out are going to be these wins right um the package he was talking about at the time was um uh, was using, you know, a certain activator and then a kind of whirlwind. Uh, in This is like an old Enrage sort of build for, for Warrior. Um, and it was just like, once you have this risky skipper package, you can kind of do a couple of different things that, you know, you can do a bunch of different things you want with it, right? But at the end of the day, it's risky skipper that's winning you the games. And we can just call this risky skipper Warrior and you could have 50 different versions of it because risky skipper wasn't like you know, the thing that was the flashy part of the deck, but it was the part of the deck that was allowing you to control the board, generally the value and tempo, right? Swing, you know, uh, have big swing turns and win the game off of that kind of thing. Um, and I feel like the, a similar thing is probably true for Warwin because you know what's funny? I d have seen... A, it is it is not just whirlwind right um if i go to d4builds.gg which is the site i was using for this right you can actually see and it's funny because they're all stacked on top of each other there is whirlwind endgame barbarian rend endgame barbarian hammer of the ancients endgame barbarian and all of them include those three shouts so maybe it's just that the shouts package is really good at efficiently generating you a ton of fury. And the best way to play warrior, is, or I'm sorry, the best way to play barbarian is to just generate a boatload of fury and constantly be spamming a score skill and never using your basic because you don't need to generate fury when you're just using shouts on cooldown. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that, that makes, 
that makes some sense to me. I also think that you've, you stumbled on something important, which is um, important for um, for a good meta, which is um, this kind of like three levels of meta we were talking about when it comes to League, right? Like yeah. the ability to like, you know, even if there's like a powerful kind of like um, top level meta, like adjustability to kind of like make it your own, right? Like, like you were saying, right? Like the core, you know, warrior meta what is that is the control warrior that has like the rift package versus mm. the weapons package oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 yep right like control warrior is there right and there's a net deck for people who enjoy kind of just like pure pure you know net decking right um but you can get the joy like you know the joy of like i've made this my own by swapping out that package right similar thing in league right the kind of structural meta of the lanes versus kind of like the particular seasonal meta of like what character is strong you can still express individual individual choice in there by choice of hero build within that hero that kind of thing as long as within like kind of like a constrained parameters right similarly with diablo right like i am like you know probably at end game shouts are all the best thing but i am sure as people are leveling they're like playing whirlwind but they're adjusting their other four or five skills along the way right similar and i think i think this is um uh, the big insight here is WoW made the changes that WoW made to talents made it much better from like uh, a, uh, a meta standpoint because while there are overall things you are doing, especially within kind of like the lane of like single damage versus AOE versus a couple other things, you can move a couple of points around and not totally and like get most of what you need and like still be able to like express individually some stuff right like you know i play monk i don't play the exact build on peak of serenity um maybe monk's a little bit more flexible than other classes but like i like feyline stomp so i pick feyline stomp i pull i'm pulling a couple of points out of other places to do that but it's not totally ruining my ability to perform i think that's an important thing right like the ability to kind of like tweak things on the meta that you want and not have it totally fall apart um, yeah, that's definitely true because also in WoW, I, that is something that I that I prioritize a lot, right? Like in our Mythic Plus group, um, I do a lot of the single target damage, and that's important. Like, I, okay, to back this up, something that I watch worse Mythic Plus teams than ours do, right, is what happens is you have five people who aren't behaving like a team when they when they build their their comp essentially, right? You have. Um, you have a group of people who have all come together and they have looked online to see what is the best Mythic Plus build for this class, right? Oh, Mythic, you know, best Mythic Plus Fire Mage, right? They take that talent loadout, basically, um, and, they, and they pull it into keys. But the thing that'll end up happening is when a specific damage type or profile is sort of needed or required, they can't adapt to it because everything is just sort of built for raw overall DPS, if that makes sense. Um, and so you never get any of the contours of like, oh, well, actually the hardest pull in the dungeon is going to be this mini boss before the final boss, right? And he does a thing, and you actually need somebody who does a lot of execute damage, right? Because, uh, you know, he his damage ramps up or whatever. Or maybe it's too many bosses, and you need just you just need to do a lot of cleave, right? And so having everybody f kind of specced into what does the best for five target AOE is actually kind of a detriment because what would really have made your group better is to sort of do what ours does and say, okay, this one person is going to be built for single target damage. Um, 
for cleave damage, for burst AOE maybe, right? Um, and then this other person is going to be dealt, like, you know, built to just kind of farm these these five-person packs or whatever. And having that kind of flexibility that keeps your overall damage profile relatively even so that your, your group is kind of putting out the same amount of DPS on every single pull rather than having a situation where your group is, like, putting out wildly different amounts of damage based on the, the type of pull it is, is actually really, like, beneficial, right? Um, and I do think that that's actually kind of an interesting kind of contour. I, I like that a lot. I would actually kind of say, I don't know, it's complicated, obviously. What, it's interesting because there exists a, a sort of mini-meta under, like, a top-level and a sort of ordinary meta in the sense that I'm kind of describing, right? Which is the top level meta, you just take the most powerful shit. This is like what, you know, um the uh what are the mythic plus things called? Keystones? Uh God, what's the man, I can't remember what the esport is called. Um it is keystones, but it's just like um uh, Man, I don't remember. It, they they're, they're, they have like a, a Keystone League, right? Okay. MDI is what I'm thinking. Okay. Uh, the Mythic Dungeon Invitational. Um, MDI players are just going to play the very best. And typically they are so good that they can just fucking pull the entire dungeon. And the only thing that they do is they bring classes that have massive uncapped AoE damage because that's how you time keys as part of the MDI, right? Um, whereas, you know, the... Under, under us is kind of the pug meta, and the pug meta is sort of what I'm describing. You have five people who have individually built their, their characters to, you know, the specifications recommended by guides. Those specifications recommended by guides are universally talking about doing flat AoE damage to groups of five individuals, right? To, like, a pack of five, you know, characters. Um... And in between those is you have us, right? Where we are pushing, you know, like we are pushing high-end keys. We're pushing 20s or whatever else. But we're not doing it as part of a pug. We're doing it as part of a dedicated team environment. And as part of that team environment, one of the advantages we get to flex is the fact that we have a consistent comp who can handle certain things in certain ways in a consistent way. And I think that that's actually pretty interesting to kind of like work around, right? The different ways that the same game mode can create individually unique metas depending on how the the group of players is, are interfacing with that game mode yeah no i mean like again to bring it back to league right it's like you know there's a tank meta and you're probably playing you know a, a tanky character that can kind of or like in a kind of like a normal meta right you're playing playing a character that can individually perform on its own and not have to rely too much on your teammates because you know you never know who you're going to be team with but when we're all playing together you can play like a character that's a little bit more supporty, right? Like in our games, right? Like, buddy's playing Yasuo mid. Okay, everybody pick someone with a knockup, buddy will carry us, right? Like, yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of, like, even if, like, say, Nautilus isn't particularly in the meta right now, that ult that does a knockup, that's valuable enough that, like, it makes it worth it because it will, it will mean that, like, you know, Yasuo, buddy's Yasuo will go off and it will work, even though, like, you know, the other team is playing, um, you know, every like the same team that got played at Worlds, they are all playing individually and don't know what they're doing, right? Like that kind of thing. Or yep. I mean, that's that's even a, that's like that's actually the top level. Well, like you know, like I've I've described my favorite you know moments with League of Legends were during Clash, for instance, right, where I got to. I was on the team. I was playing in mid lane. They saw that Yasuo was my most played champion. The first game they banned it out. The second game they let it through and we first picked it, right? And we built it like a Yasuo team and we stomped that game or whatever, right? Like that was 
the individualized meta of this is a clash. I can see what my opponents play in the clash and who they're who they're good on. And my bans are about respecting who you know who should or should not be be uh, kind of like picked or countered, right? Whereas like in a ranked solo queue environment, you have no idea what the enemy team is playing, so you're banning out meta champions, right? Um, in a lot of situations where you're just saying, oh, whatever, Master Yi is the most gross, broken thing in the meta. Let's just ban him every game yeah. so we don't ever see him. I know we had a version of that. I can't remember who the character was that we were just like, I never want to see this character. <laughs> I mean, that was Charles with Yasuo. Um, I guess that's fair. Yeah, that was Charles with Yasuo. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but you know, that was... Uh, I mean, I was thinking about it too because, like, you know, there's also, like, metas that are, like, very ground level, right? Like... We had a local meta for like the twelve of us that used to play, right? It's like those you know, in houses, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which was based around our particular talents, right? Like you know, and like also our particular anti talents. Right? It's like leave Cyan open. <laughs> Rohan might pick it and play AP Cyan. That'll make it easier. <laughs> um, that kind of thing, right? Like or you know, like the the idea that like you want <laughs> you, you don't want your best player going up your uh, uh, up against their best player. You want your best player going up against their worst player so that they can farm a bunch of kills in the laning phase, right? Like yeah, man, we used to have long on this podcast where we just you, you, I think you mentioned it's like, you know, at some level, I was the determining plan, like how I was doing with oh, determining yeah. how the team <laughs> because I was like, kind Te of like technically, yeah, yes, that was maybe the black pill moment for me on League of Legends. This was when, <laughs> this is when friend of the cast Charles once insisted that he was as good of a player as me, and I took that personally. Okay, and I sat down and I I made I went through our entire match history together for like the whole season or whatever because this was back when you could look up your whole match history on like um I wasn't there wasn't even like op.gg back then it was like on the League of In Legends client, website yeah. yeah and I just started charting out the wins and losses right and um. And I did prove what I wanted to prove, which is that definitionally I'm the better player, right? I almost always had a positive KDA. You know, I almost always was high in CS and had the most gold on the team and all of this other sort of stuff. Uh, but the thing that ruined this exercise for me, the thing that just destroyed me about this fucking exercise was I realized me doing well never contributed to a win, right? The deciding factor for whether or not we won or lost the game was whether or not you had done well in that game. If you had a positive KDA and you'd gotten some kills or whatever, we were we were cruising, we were sailing, we were winning that game, right? But if you were getting, you know, getting farmed, getting wrecked or whatever, that was a game we tended to lose. And so even though Charles tended to lose when he was playing League of Legends and I tended to win when, you know, um, in, in our respective kind of lanes and roles and stuff like that, it it, neither of that ever that didn't matter right we won plenty of games with charles fed we won plenty of games where you know um i got fed but the determining factor right the actual decision point the thing that was winning games uh was how you played and i was just like wow this sucks this is <laughs> well, to be fair that's kind of like a like a weird it's like a correlation not causation thing right like because like you doing well was contributing to like you playing at a high level is like what gave us the baseline. It's just kind of like mm -hmm. that was like I'm like the indicator, right? Like if we were against a team that was better, like I was like kind of like the midpoint. So if I was falling below, 
that mean that meant that our whole team was like a step below. And if I was above, it meant that our whole team was a step below. It wasn't. Yeah, active. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that is definitely true. It's funny. Like, I think about this with Hearthstone stuff sometimes because I'll look at stats like uh, drawn win rate, played right. win rate, right? Um, and you will see cards that have really high played win rate, right? And it's like, oh, this is the best card in the deck. Right, but really, what that card typically represents is a win condition, right? So, for instance, in um, let's say in uh, an old Control Warrior build, I used to I used to run. I had one card that was a uh, like it was a six mana six six, but if you did it right, it was a twelve twelve with charge, right? And my played win rate on that card was really really high, right? Which is to say that most games that I played it, I won that game, right? But the problem was, is that the drawn win rate was actually much closer to 40, it was, it was like 40%, right? Because the reality was, yes, when I got the opportunity to play that card, it typically won me the game, but that's because I had positioned the rest of my deck around getting to that point, and if I wasn't in striking position, it's a pretty bad card to play, so if I wasn't in a, like a striking position, it's actually just kind of a dead card in your hand, right? Um... And, uh, and like, analyzing the stats along those kinds of levels can give you, like, different sorts of kinds of insights. Uh, yeah. Yep. I yeah. totally get you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and, and you know, that's, uh, yeah, no, that's, huh. That's an interesting thing to think about, right? Like, I'm, I'm, the thing that pops into my head is, like, win more cards and, like, also, like, um, that, that, that picture that's, like, very popular on the internet now of, like, the airplane with the red dots on it. Because it was oh like, yeah because it's like you know like it's a survivorship bias point but the, the the point is is that like the indicators don't always indicate what you what exactly you think they mean right like yeah the the common thing this is uh the, this is the air it's an airplane coming back from uh World War from II. bombing in World, World War Two right and the aeronautical engineers looked at the bullet holes and they say oh we need to reinforce the armor here right and then someone pointed out no the fact that it came back means you need to reinforce the armor where there are not bullet holes because the implication is if there were bullet holes in, I think it's like the engine, the rudder, that kind of stuff. Um, then the plane goes down. Right. Yeah. It doesn't uh, and I, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. That stuff is, that stuff is really interesting. And I think about it a lot when it comes to Hearthstone. Cause like an, an interesting thing with Hearthstone is you need, you need to have power at different points in the game, but like those things swing wildly. So for instance, in my controller deck, there's a card called Trench Stalker. Trench Stalker has won me more games than any other card in that deck, right? It is the game winning card. And the reason why it is a nine mana, eight, nine, right? Uh, but the, the buff style, you know, where I'm, you know, one of the buff cards is all of the, the creatures in your deck, all the minions in your deck gain stats equal to their mana cost, right? That turns it into a 17, 18, right? Um, and another one that says double the stats of all uh, minions in your deck, right? The point of Trench Stalker is it sits in your deck. You play these cards. When you draw it, you are drawing a 9-mana 17-19 with the text Battle Cry Attack three random enemies, which typically includes the enemy hero. You attack the enemy hero for the win, right? Um, but if I draw Trench Stalker in the first four turns of the game, it is God awful. It's so bad, right? Because it's not sitting in my deck. It's not waiting to get buffed, right? The first turn I can do a buff is on turn five. Second time is on turn seven or whatever. Um, so now it's just a nine mana, eight, nine that'll attack three random things and probably kill itself in the, in, in the process, right? And so it's about finding the different, and, th and this is actually maybe foreshadowing for when we end up talking about Estrella. It's about finding the right density of synergy, right? Cards that 
power up one another when they are played together um, uh, without uh, dilute or without like diluting your deck such that the synergy becomes kind of untenable, right? Um, in Hearthstone, if I have cards that are keyed off of armor, for instance, right, uh, the Shield Slam is a is a powerful piece of armor removal. It deals damage equal to your armor to a ran, to a to a targeted enemy minion. Um, shield shatter is the same thing. Ten mana, five damage to everything, right? But it's reduced in cost by the amount of armor you have. I have to have armor cards in my deck in order to support those two cards, right? But if I don't have enough armor cards, then I'm not. Then those cards get proportionally worse, right? Because the synergy isn't there. And I feel like the kind of underlying math and strategy behind those is really really fascinating yeah no i i absolutely agree um that's like that's i think the appeal of those of like a lot of deck builder games right it's like switching out little little pieces whereas something like you know, the other games we've been talking about diablo and and wow it's not as much about kind of like those individual pieces partially because they're also like a little bit harder to quantify right especially given the with the tools that you have right like it's very like that's kind of the the advantage of like a deck builder style game is like you can like know pretty concretely what what each piece of your thing is doing right um yeah in in wow i feel like the the questions are much more about sort of like how much so for instance there is a version of my build that i can play in wow that is raw damage the highest it could possibly be right every point in my talent tree contributes some level of damage, right? But the reality is that nobody wants, nobody would ever do that. Nobody would ever take that, right? Um, because uh, there is a weird damage breakpoint where I would rather have utility, and so um, I'm thinking specifically for the warrior talent tree. There's a there's a talent called sidearm. Sidearm is probably like point three percent of my damage in a in a raid encounter, and I take sidearm just because kind of there, you know there's not a there's not a better thing to spend it on just says every once in a while when you auto attack you deal a little bit of extra damage on that auto attack okay fair enough um but in my mythic plus build i don't take that talent i take Stormbolt, right because the utility of having a four second stun on a 30 second cooldown is so much vastly more important than the combined amount of damage you know like I, i'm not i'm not timing a key because i did an extra 400 dps right i but i probably am timing a key if i can interrupt a like really dangerous ability with a stun when I, you know at range when i need it with stormbolt that kind of a thing um and i feel like that is a similar calculus in the sense of you are looking for you know like you are in that instance you're sacrificing some synergy right i'm sacrificing a little damage synergy in order to pick up uh like a core piece of utility um but uh it is the same sort of like question of like at what point at what break point am i willing to make that decision right um so yeah 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 <laughs> i mean we're well over the hour we've kind of gotten away from meta talk a little bit so i think that i think that was a good discussion obviously we didn't come down to like a, a ton of like definite things there but i think it was a fun fun talk yeah agree all right well tell me how your week what was is, then how my week was um i what have i been doing um 
Mostly playing Diablo. Sure. The big thing I'm doing in Diablo is I'm filling out my renown. I'm getting renown on everything. I did all of the altars of Lilith. Um, I did. Uh, I, I'm doing a bunch of dungeons. I have three. I maxed out on three of the five zones. Um, I'm just getting closer, plugging away at it or whatever. To be fair, I actually really loved the altars of Lilith. I had a lot of fun doing those. But like, I had a lot of fun in the way that like, I don't know. Listen, I was listening to a contrapoints video. She's talking about AI. It was pretty funny. I, I could have the map of where the altars of Lilith were on my other screen. I didn't have to like, you know, it's like, that's just good. That's just good times. <laughs> that's just fun. Yeah, well, that's fair. That's a very, what's, what's the mode of play sublimation, right? It's kind yeah. Of like yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely sublimation. I mean, I was doing other stuff. I was playing Astraea. I don't know. I've been playing a lot of Astraea recently, uh, but I don't want to, I don't like, I don't know how much I want to talk about it. Yeah, uh, I, I believe I'm not allowed to talk about a lot of my play of Astraea. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but yes, uh, I I played the demo, which is public, so I could probably talk about that. Um, demo's great, same as it, it's a similar one to the one that was at PAX, right? Um, yeah, I think it's had. I I don't think there's anything mechanically different about the demo, um, but it's probably had VFX and stuff. Yeah, I think uh, like polish added in. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna say anything else because I I I'm worried about confusing different parts of things, um, but you know. It's a fun game. Uh, yeah, I played Astraea on, on stream as part of Steam Next Fest, which was pretty fun. Uh, my Solarius build was insanely good. I got a really powerful Solarius build that was a lot of fun. Uh, but my Mooney build, uh, I actually wiped... I whiffed. I think it's the first time I've ever lost an, uh, an Astraea run on stream. I, I famously have, have said that I'm the best Astraea player in the world. That might be true. <laughs> uh, just Yeah, exactly. Just because like, nobody else has, you know... Nobody else's play. I said it as a joke during the completionist stream, but it's kind of like caught on. Um, and uh, and so I was playing Mooney last week, and I and I just kind of like whiffed uh, a little bit, and I made uh, I made some tough decisions. One of the things that is not in the demo, but is in the full game that I was showing off at the time, is the anomaly levels, right? Which is the game's progressive, you know, difficulty. And I was playing the maximum difficulty I'd unlocked at the time, which I think was Anomaly 5, right? Um, and it was very funny because Leo was in the chat. Leo, the designer of the game, was in the chat. And he watched me make some dumb mistakes, right? Uh, one of the anomaly levels puts a bomb on all of your guys. So whenever you fully purify um, an enemy, that bomb goes off, deals one corruption. So if you are at one health, and you and you fully corrupt someone down, they will explode and deal the one damage to lose you a heart. And I was like, no, I can't believe I made that mistake. Uh, but the second time that we went in, uh, I was able to win uh, on on Mooney. And then my Solarius build was actually really shaky and dangerous at first. I lost a bunch of hearts just be, I, because I couldn't, you know, because like the build couldn't kind of couldn't support it. Um, but once I kind of got going and got my engine together, um, Leo actually said that he was like, this is one of the most powerful builds I've ever seen. I was like, yeah, buddy, let's go. Um, so, you know, yeah, that's some, that's some stuff. That's a very fun game. I'm much, very much looking forward to the full release. Um, I'll be there day one. Um, uh, what else? Um, I've been playing a lot of street fighter, Dick fighter. Um, so how is uh, how is Zangief doing? Is in the meta? Is he is he good? Is he bad? So this is so he's not the worst, right? I think the worst, the, the commonly thought worst character right now is uh, Lilyhawk, um, and uh, but Street Fighter tiering tends to be weird. And also, I I still think the meta is still forming, right? Like the game's been out for three weeks. It'll be a while before we kind of like settle into a true rut. Um, but something kind of in general that you could say is. Um, you know how you said like people hate a, a control meta? 
people mm -hmm. tend to hate a grappler meta, right? Like grapplers tend to not ever be top of the meta. Um, uh, yeah. So Lou says in the chat, he seems feast or famine. All it takes is a few hits and you win. This is why people hate grappler metas, right? Because one, it's like you know, like you know, you guess right seventy five percent of the time and you still lose. Um, and two, um, it just work fundamentally differently. So like the the the, the, the primary triangle in fighting games is attack, block, throw, right? Block mm -hmm. beats attack, um, attack beats throw, throw beats block, right? Um, most of this is actually not focused around, like the, the, the grab is not like the, your standard grab is not actually um, used as much, right? It's mostly about like different normals fighting each other. Um, when you're kind of just like training normals, it's called footsies, right? That That's kind of where like the soul of the game lives. And because grapplers live a lot, like grapplers mostly live on throws or like, the threat of throws causing people to screw up and this thing called 50 50s, which um, is like 50, like the concept of 50 50 is you put someone in a position where they have to guess, right? Like, cause if they guess right, they get out. And if they don't, they get thrown, right? Or they get, they, they get hit, right? And that is how like most grapplers live. And this is part of why I like grapplers, right? It's like, if I have the fucking read, you're fucking dead, right? Like, I've, <laughs> yeah. I know you're going to jump, and I, like, input the, the the jump grab. You're fucking toast, right? But that is also can be incredibly frustrating. So I, I, I kind of get it. The other side of this is zoners who are not hated as much, but get kind of like the same thing, because they also work a lot differently than other characters. They stand back, and they fill the screen with shit, and they don't let you get in, and that can be incredibly frustrating. It is in kind of like the larger meta triangle, right? Like zoners are really bad for grapplers because grapplers have a hell of a fucking time getting in against like zone. They have a hell of a time getting in against anybody and against zoners, it's just even fucking worse. Um, uh, like your your traditional zoner is Dalsim and then like JP is a very powerful one in, in, in this game. Um, but you know, um, it's uh, so like that. that's kind of like the state of like fighting games meta in general. Like I said, I'm not sure how, like this is a pretty grappler heavy game. There's like Lilyhawk, who as I mentioned is generally looked down upon, but like Manon and Geef, I think are pretty okay. Um, uh, do, do, uh, Lou in the chat says, uh, she's a grapp uh, Manon is a grappler that has a power up, so you have to stall that shit out. Um, Manon's interesting because like once she's fully powered up, she has like the best normal throw in the game, right? She beats like at the, at the at five medals um, and like this buff, persists between rounds your normal throws throw harder than zangief's hardest throw um uh which is which is interesting she also has like a vacuum effect which is like a thing borrowed from basically other fighting games that like kind of like lets you pull people in and like makes the the kind of like getting in aspect a little bit easier um uh so you know it's it, it's a super interesting game i like it a lot i like like because like there's a lot of characters like their own individual mechanics right like rio's still your everyman right but like um one of the and like the new there's like the, the kind of like three kind of core normal characters i will say are ryu ken and luke because luke is not like he doesn't have like the same like lore implications as like ryu right he's not using the same energy but he kind of plays like when he's got an uppercut he's got um kind of like a russian thing which is, and he's and he's got a sandblast which is basically like a fast token um uh uh, Lou in the chat says they made Ken actually good and they hate it. Boo to Hobo Ken. Funnily enough, friend of the cast, Akshay, um, was always a Ken player, but had been playing Ryu in the more recent iterations. He's back on Ken. He's very happy about it. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, but like, like Jamie, I think Jamie's super, super interesting. I don't play him, but like, 
his thing is he drinks and once he gets four drinks he kind of like he like transforms um um but his gameplay is based around you know getting you in combo strings to give him enough time at the end to take a drink um that way he can kind of like unlock his full potential um and it's also just like a, a super fun game to watch right like i'm getting super into it i enjoyed watching the ceo stuff over the past couple of days i enjoy watching matches um i'm taking kind of like my lab time seriously it's been it's been a it's been a great time that is uh, that is actually pretty funny. It, 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 it's funny how applicable to Hearthstone all this stuff always sounds to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, even though they are radically different games, I would probably say they are like almost as far apart as as games can be. Like, I don't, there's I don't a think little that's bit of actually sort of true, right? Like Street Fighter has the execution component, but there's a lot of kind of like you know X beats Y, right? Like, you don't have the builder component either. Right. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I'm just thinking about, like, I have all the time and, you know, I have all this time to think right. about my Hearthstone plays, which is different than, like, getting, you know, frame-by-frame frame stuff that's, that's happening in fighting games. But that thing you said about reads is so real. This is this is why Quest uh, Quest Hunter was so fun for me, because that, that the mastery of that deck came down to reads, right? Oh, when do I play my traps such that I am going to get the most amount of disruptive tempo, right, to close out you know it's like to close out games and when i got those really powerful reads it just felt fucking amazing right uh another good example of this is uh you know i have other reads uh like when i was playing uh menagerie warrior there was a while where i was playing menagerie warrior and i would get these reads about when i could drop a one amalgam band and the point of that deck is to play just one amalgam like one amalgam band to 6 6 that has all the keywords essentially um, you build it up over the course of the game by playing a bunch of different things but it's just like you it's it's very common to play that card and it gets destroyed right but like you need to know when you can thread it in and you're like oh i have a window here i can get it in i can essentially reno myself to full health and i have this huge threat on board that i know that they can't deal with and boom that's a win right um or another version of this is maybe like uh like getting reads with um uh getting reads with like trench stalker stuff right in the in the control warrior deck is super fun uh because just like there are there are games where i can just win the game by drawing a 20 mana taunt or I'm sorry, a 20 health taunt that the opponent can't target with spells or abilities, and you're just like, I win. You can't, you can't recover from this, right? Getting those kinds of reads, those kinds of plays, um, you know, knowing when when you sort of shuffle up, oh, I'm going to win the game by doing this thing is actually like, I don't know, that's that's fun to me, but it sounds that sounds sort of like if I if I have the read, then I win. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. No, and it's it's not it's not a, it's not a win as much in, in Street Fighter, but like, you know, very common thing for me to do is so Street Fighter Six has a thing called throw loops. Throw loops are um, if I if I throw you, I have enough advantage after the throw to walk up and throw you again before you can do anything, but like or before you can get an attack out, and so you can't. You either have to dash back or jump or do something that like keeps you from. Um, keeps me from from grabbing you again and so like a lot of my game plan is like start a throw loop and then like read when they're gonna jump and then like do my level one super which is like a jump in the air grab them and slam them on the ground um or something like that And when i get it it's just like oh yes yes i knew you were going to do that i got you yeah um yeah it's like dictating the you know initiative right is in chess 
uh, is the is this when you are the one who is dictating the terms? Uh, you are acting. Your opponent is reacting. That's when you have initiative. I feel like that is a really fun feeling, right? Yeah, I mean, um, that's a fundamental you know. part of um, of fighting games, right? Like it's, it's like it's when it's your turn, right? It's like you know I have come out of this exchange and I have priority, right? I have the frame advantage, so I like you have to react to me. Um, <laughs> Lou says throw loops and corner dribbles. Fun interactive gameplay. Being on the, the worst <laughs> feeling ever. Um, but this is this is why it's frustrating, right? It's because it's all 50-50, right? Like you have to, yep. you know, make a guess as to what's going to happen next, um, and like react appropriately, right? Because like one of the responses to a throw loop is you input your own throw input, and it it does the um, it, it's uh, it's called detecting a throw. You kind of like slap each other's hands and you push back and for a grappler, that's actually pretty pretty good for the defender because you've put space between you and you and you kind of like reset to neutral right so uh that works but uh you know it's uh it is what it is it's, it's I have, find you, it's have you been watching have you been watching anything cool recently um i finished season two of the boys uh with my girlfriend which was interesting but uh, i feel like we should wait until i get to the end of season three to to really talk about that um okay um Let's see, like, the, my biggest complaint about, like, the, the, the thing that always stuck out to me the most about the boys is, like, this idea that, like, the military doesn't have superheroes. I'm like, no way in hell, right? Like, the, like, the, 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 there's going to be some super who, like, loves his country, right? Like, and you can even, like, play this up, right? Like, he's, like, you know, goes and, and would enter the military because he feels it's his duty, right? Like, there, there's definitely somebody like that that exists, and the, the world's just like, a little too cynical for me. Like, it's not that it's, like, Definitely too cynical for my taste, but it's like too cynical for like my suspension of disbelief. Um, no, yeah, this is the, this is what I was talking about when I was yeah. like, "There's no way they keep the secret," you know, like that's that's unreal. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, and the other thing too is like, this is this is gonna sound a little harsh, but like the way they mix politics is like I can tell it's part of the original comic because it's something that like an edgy reddit atheist would have said in 2006 and i can tell it's part of the show because <laughs> what, what a like edgy reddit like you know you know left poster would like post in 2018 right like or, or 2020 right so um uh but you know it's yeah this is this is why i say this it doesn't it's actually dumb as fuck right no thoughts head empty you know yeah, rocks for brains there's nothing there's nothing underneath the surface yeah, it's, it's still a fun watch like i'm still enjoying yeah. it and like i'm still uh involved in it it's just you know um and yeah that's the decision that it's compelling it's such compelling television i feel like yeah. uh <laughs> yeah and i also got spoiled on something somebody i followed on twitter posted a panel and so like um, I don't know if it's happening in the show yet, but I know who Blackmore is. Assuming they keep they keep it the same between the comic and the uh, and the show. Um, what could the... like Blackmore's identity? Uh, do how how uh I don't. Black Noir is a part of season three, and you learn about his backstory, I guess. But like, oh, interesting. Maybe they changed it for the. Uh, for the show is he yeah like if he's someone specific i you may i maybe don't know this oh yeah uh, the boys is is a particularly bad comic book that i don't like and have never liked so i d this is one of those like comics things where i don't actually have a fucking encyclopedic knowledge yeah. like all well, of I the mean, lore if it is how it is in the comic it'd be very obvious i mean i suppose they could change it somehow to like make that reveal later but um 
in the comic, he's. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for people listening at home, but in the comic, he is. Oh, okay. I yeah. actually just spoiled it for myself. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious um, how they handle it in the show. Um, but yeah. Um, otherwise, have you watched anything good? If I watch anything, you know what's funny is uh, sort of like related to this. I was watching a bunch of conspiracy stuff. Um, uh, I don't know. I've been watching a lot of. Po- I don't want to like talk politics or whatever, but uh, uh, I was watching a bunch of co- like conspiracy stuff about like flat earthers and QAnon and other sorts of uh, uh, other sorts of conspiracies. And it was generally, you know, it's just fun. And, like those those videos. I don't know why I can just eat them up so effortlessly. Um. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean. Yeah. You know, there's there's that uh, that one guy who's you know, running in the Democratic primary, who uh, yeah, he's a weird one. Well, yeah, and so the other thing I was thinking, I, I was paying attention is the sub stuff. Uh, you know, where like the 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 Titan submersible oh, yeah, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that I mean that that captured everybody's attention. What was what was yeah. the uh. My favorite tweet over the weekend was like, "Time to take off my submarine expert hack and put on my like Russian mercenary expert hack." Yeah, because you know Putin's chef fucking you know rebelled against him or whatever. Yeah. Holy shit! Yeah. yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. The uh, the submarine stuff was so funny. Did you see James Cameron talk about it? Holy fuck! It yeah. was the most like satisfying thing. The submarine story is honestly kind of dumb. In like a like, I don't actually think that there's anything there outside of just like the the sort of raw. Do you know? Actually, let me put it this way. Do you know what liminal spaces are? Yes, yes. I watched the Super Eye Wolf Eye Patch Wolf video on it. Yeah. Oh, you know what's actually funny? I haven't seen. I do know Super Eye Patch Wolf, but I haven't seen his video on it. But ContraPoints made a video okay. on on liminal spaces, um, and she was sort of talking about how liminal spaces have the same sort of genealogy with thalassophobia, which is like the fear of like the the deep the, ocean yeah the just insane depth of the ocean um and uh, and i just feel like that's what this is right like it is this sort of overlap of the uncanny eerie sort of confrontation of how deep the ocean really gets out there um and uh and that's why it's just like i don't know it just like became a thing yeah i mean it's also like it's like all meta takes, right? It's like, you know, how you feel about it, how it compares to other events of like, you know, of like similar nature, right? Yeah, like, like I, about my society. Interest, we live in a society, yeah. buddy. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely people who are like, yeah, fucking billionaires or whatever, right? My interest is entirely the doomed boat. I'm part of the doomed boat fandom. <laughs> I was just like rattling off these facts to Rachel. She was like, what the fuck? Because like, I just like, I don't know where I picked all this up from. I just know about a lot of doomed boats, I guess, right? Like the USS Indianapolis is a famous one. It's the one that uh, it is the it is the uh, the the United States cruiser that carried the atomic bombs. So it was radio silent, um, and it gets sunk by a Japanese submarine, and nobody knows that it 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 was sunk because it was radio silent, obviously. Um, and so I think it was like three days, right? Like the entire crew was basically stranded in the middle of the ocean uh, for three days, and then sharks showed up and fucking feasted on them. And it was just like ah oh, doomed boat stuff, like. <laughs> The other one that I got really into, uh, doomed boat knowledge was absorbed during your Titanic history phase. It's all part of your Cameron Billing. <laughs> True, honestly, right? The terror is a doomed boat.
boat is a yep. famous doomed boat. Uh, doomed boats, uh, like weirdly enough, passage is like a doomed boat generator, right? Like, oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, weirdly, weird doomed boat is also Chernobyl, and I know that sounds ridiculous because it is a landlocked nuclear power plant, but I would say that there is a shared history between those two guys that I'm obsessed with who looked at the open reactor of of the Chernobyl reactor, you know, melting down. And that was the thing that killed them is something. There's something about that and doomed boat that shares common cause in my brain. They are inextricably linked. I also got really into, do you know about compression divers? Um, is this like related to the bends? I don't know about it specifically. Okay. So this is a, this is a profession. This is a prof You can be a professional compression diver. What a compression diver is, um, <sighs> Not the two fucking guys in trouble. <laughs> yeah. uh, what a compression diver. So yes, it is related to the bends. The reason the bends happens is because you go is you shift pressure right too quickly, right? Uh, somebody who is a like a scuba diver can dive actually pretty deep and then come back up, right? Your body can adjust to like massive changes in pressure. One of the things that people figured out is that if you do that process slowly, your body can adjust to extreme differences in pressure in in pressure right so what a compression diver is is they basically live at super extreme pressures at all time for typically days or weeks on end in order to do their work so for instance at an oil rig right you you know um a compression diver would be on an oil rig off the north sea and they will be 300 meters down right um under just a ton of water, right? right? But because they acclimate to that process slowly, they go into these tanks called compression tanks, right? Um, where the pa where the pressure is slowly, you know, um, increased increased over time, uh, and so they're living at whatever it is, you know, like twenty psi, whatever the number is, right? Um, and they and they will live in these diving bells. So there'll be a ship up top, and those there's a diving bell, and they'll dive down out of the you know, out of the diving bell, out of the compressed diving bell, um, and do their work at the bottom of the, you know, at the bottom of the sea where like the welling is happening or whatever. Um, but the, that is obviously an extremely dangerous set of circumstances because being a compression diver means that you're like, if anything goes wrong, if there are any like problems, you are in like extremely like extreme danger. So for instance, there was a, um, there was an oil rig in the South China Sea um, where there were a group of compression divers who were doing stuff at the at the bottom of the well, and a typhoon came, um, and the boat had to essentially do like kind of an emergency evac to go to shore because it was too dangerous to be. Actually, they were on an oil rig technically, um, so the compression divers come up. Uh, and they get put in a compression tank. The compression tank gets put on a boat, and um, and during the typhoon, the compression tank was essentially jettisoned because it was going to sink the boat. Um, and so those guys are in a are are in a tank, and they they're floating to the bottom of the sea. They're just they're 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 dead. And it's just like oh, the thoughts of that. Though the most heinous one is the is the dolphin. I think is something like that accident, which was a, a group of compression divers who were on the surface in a compression tank, um, and they are at the height of their of their compression. And someone accidentally opens the door, and there is explosive decompression where they are living at 20 psi and all of a sudden all of the they're they're instantly at one psi so their their bodies just exploded from the inside out and it's just nightmare fuel mega there's a million stories like this yeah. no i mean <laughs> honestly if you made me shoot, put a pointed a gun at me and told me either 
do the, uh, I mean, I guess if you put it in, I mean, choose either one of those, um, I'd let you shoot me. But, like, if you, um, if you could force me to, I'd say, like, I'd rather die instantly than, like, you know, live with my doom at the bottom of the ocean. Um, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Tell me about it. There's also, I mean, there's also like not unhorror stories, right? There's actually a guy, um, who, so the, the, they have, um, they have like, like umbilical cords essentially, right. uh, like to their, to their suits or whatever. There's a, there was a guy whose umbilical cord got snapped because, uh, the wind at the top of the thing was pulling the diving bell around. Um, and the cord got caught on a piece of machinery and just like went taut for a second and the whole thing snapped. Right. Um, but because of the crazy sort of like thermodynamics and physics and chemistry of being a compression diver, he actually sat still for 30 minutes on one breath of air, right? Um, and survived uh, until they could get down there and reset their position and rescue him. Um, and, uh, and it's just, uh, it's crazy. Compression divers are nuts. Anyway, doomed boats. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that was yeah. So, so my least, my, my like, you know, you know, terror's version of this is um the astro is like an astronaut who like like lets go of the spacecraft and isn't buckled in and just like is slowly folded floating <gasps> away and like because you can't you can't swim back like you can't swim you, in space yeah. right there's nothing to push against right like you're fucked right like you could be like yeah. three feet out and you're fucked right like it's that, that's, like, the type of thing that, like, gives me nightmares, right? Like, that in this fucking boat, right? Like, the idea of sitting in a tube like that for 10 minutes terrifies me, much less, like, you know, 10 hours, right? Even if this thing is successful, right? Like... Oh, yeah, I know. I mean, you know, Hank Green uh, wrote a thread about what... Uh, implosive compression right it's the opposite the opposite of explosive decompression would be implosive compression would have been like right and he talked about how um the air would have been moving so fast that it would have formed plasma right just because like it's under 4000 psi it's like you you cannot comprehend it's like every square inch of your body takes two tons of force in an instant how you like you just can't yeah it was funny because i saw i saw a picture um which was a dumb picture of somebody people were talking about the game controller yeah, right yeah. um and there was a picture of the game controller at the bottom of the sea or whatever um and someone was like the cheapest part survived and i knew you know i i i obviously knew that wasn't real right but the thing that i realized the reason i knew that wasn't real i was like there is no game there's no game controller left you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like that is a thing that is built for one PSI that has just been crushed into literal smithereens, right? And then like the very next thing I saw was people talking about finding the you know the wreckage. They found the wreckage exactly where you know they expected it. Um, you know, it, it looked as though there was some some problem. Implos an implosion happened or whatever. Cat catastrophic uh, implosion happened, um, and someone was like. The, you know, there isn't a plan to to search for remains or to, like, rescue remains. And I was like, what remains? Yeah. Like, what the fuck is going to be left? There smears on a wall at best, right? Yeah. Like, the, the thing that I saw that, like, like kind of, like, really, like, some, so somebody did, like, the science experiment version, which is, like, you take a, an empty can of soda, you put it over a burner on the stove, 
and you flip it upside down in a pot of water, and the thing is instantly like, fumph, fumphs in it. It's obviously, and that's like, you know, several dramatic to less dramatic than what happened. Yeah. Yeah, or like, uh, I mean, have you ever seen uh, implosions happen on train cars? Is the thing that happens in train cars uh, because when you're pumping chemicals in and out of a tanker car, right, you have to pump in air as as well as pump stuff out. Right. But what people will for you know like you know you're a railroad worker, you'll forget to do this or something like that. And what'll happen is the whole train car will because the 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 crazy thing about it that I didn't realize at the time is that it's not a slow process, right? It is a tipping point process, right? Where everything is fine right up until you meet a you meet a critical threshold and then that threshold that threshold is crossed and it's you know what I mean? And so there's huge, you know, like cars like t- these tanker cars and they just crumple like a like a soda can, right? And it's just like I can't deal with this, man. Oh, yeah. Christ. Yep, yep. <laughs> some terms talk, some terms talk about horrible ways to die. Listen, don't get me started on serial killers, okay? That Mind yeah. Hunter was a trip. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'll say, like, you know, obviously it'd be terrible to die in, like, explosive decompression or whatever. Um, or, like, explosive compression, right? Like, implosive compression or whatever you said. That At least it's, like, instantaneous, right? Like, when I found out about, like, the sub, like, imploding, it was like, well, at least they didn't suffer, right? Like, you know, they didn't, you know, that's infinitely preferable to like. like the, yeah, the nightmare everyone was thinking was that the they lost power or whatever. The sub sank to the bottom of the ocean and there was nothing that they could do to like get out of that. Yeah, right? or like, you know. But that obviously, yeah. Like, they, they raised the sub and it turns out they have murdered and eaten the sea. Like, you know, they murdered, like, you're in that situation. You murdered the CEO. He put you here and he's taking your precious oxygen, right? Like, yeah. you know, um, just like. Terrible nightmare scenarios, right? Like Donner Party level scenarios, but like in like a much worse, like, you know what? We should stop. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're, we're like falling down like the, the, the podcast, like, uh, like rabbit hole because like true crime is like all podcasts. Right? Yeah. I saw like a stat on this. There was like 44% of all podcasts that people listen to are true crime podcasts. And the, the next closest one was like 12%. I was like, the fuck? Holy shit, yeah, that's right. a lot of people listening to true crime, but, ah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know what, Lou, that's... Industrial uh, furnaces. furnaces. Oh, this is like <gasps> Live Leak. Um, so this is... Uh, so, I don't know if you remember, but back in the heyday of Live Leak, it's just like, this appears to be a Chinese factory. Turn off the video now, <laughs> right? Like, um, just because, like, you know, safety standards are low. It's like, oh... Here's like a molten metal squirrel squiggling about like it's uh, you know, like it's like you know silly pot, like a silly string, um, because some mistake happened, but it's molten metal, and like you know, if you're lucky, the video doesn't show what happens. Like you know, th- th- there's no th- there's no like human toll to that, right? Like it's yeah, or where it's like it's so fuzzy because the resolution is always yeah, like yeah. terrible that it's just like unimplied. Like you're watching. You're watching like uh, like at a steel foundry, one of those huge crucibles is like being whatever, but then like one of the bolts fails and the and the the stuff cart starts like falling or whatever. I'm describing a real video. I don't know why I'm not doing this. Uh, but like, and all you see is there is a like a black smudge that might be a person, might not be a person. The the molten metal sweeps it off camera, 
What happened there? Who knows? I don't, and I hate it. <laughs> Do not get him started on some French bullshit. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what? We're, we're going to end this here. We're going we're to end this here. All right. If you'd like to email us about anything we talk about on this podcast, whether it's about letters or people dying horribly, you can reach us at nerdsplaygames.com or podcasts.nerdsplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash nerdsplaygames or youtube.com slash nerdsplaygames where these go out live. Um... <laughs> You can rate review us wherever you can find podcasts. Um, uh, there's links all down in the description. Buddy, you have anything you're looking to promote? I do just want to mention that Steam Next Fest is going on right now, and both Estrella and Ever After Falls have demos that are up. Um, I The demos are up until... Actually, the Australia demo, I think, is up until the game is live at this point, um, just because we're... You know, we're getting close. Uh, but uh, I would recommend playing the Ever After Falls demo. It's a lot of fun. It's a normal, wholesome experience, okay? No so explosive you're, you're decompression. Doing, no explosive <laughs> decompression in this one. Uh, it is it is good times with your little cat. It helps you do farm. It's great. I would highly recommend it to anybody of the Stardew Valley persuasion. Uh, just the complete opposite. <laughs> the complete opposite of everything else. Um, so, yeah, that's the only thing I wanted to promote. All right. Well, with that, I'm going to say until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>